Welcome to the C Press podcast, a podcast from the Seattle Presbytery that invites you into conversation about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and the church's people. All right, so we are doing CPRES podcast three, I believe, and we have Eliana Maxim and Tally Harrison with us. And today's topic is, we've arrived at Easter, and wait, we're still under lockdown. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I think uh, the thing that I've been reflecting on and that <clears throat> I've been hearing just a little bit from uh, our pastors is that we we spent a lot of time trying to adapt to uh, a new setting and uh, put things online or Facebook or Zoom and do sermons online and Sunday worship online. We've connected with our congregations. We've done some work in the community and we got to Easter and the, either COVID hasn't noticed yet. What I know usually happens around this time is that we, we've put a lot of time into Holy Week and Easter as pastors, and we need a break. This isn't a break. Um, this, is, this is a long haul. I, I, think, I think the conversation needs to be, uh, or is, whether we want it to be or not, that we're in this for the long haul. And what does that mean? I notice in my own self that um, I'm dealing with some with some stuff, trying to think through the long-term uh, issues of this. But I want to check in with both of you about how you're doing and also what your, uh, what your sense is about where we are now. Uh, we've been under lockdown for, what, six weeks? My thought is we've, we need to start planning for at least 12 months to 24 months, which gives me all sorts of anxiety. So, Eliana, how are you doing? What are you thinking? What am I thinking? You know, I, I, um, a couple of days ago, I uh, decided to turn my desk around here at home because uh, I, I was tired of looking at the wall because I realized I've been looking at that wall for six weeks and I'm going to have to keep looking at it for a longer time than I had anticipated than when I decorated this room. So um, now I'm looking out a window. And in doing so, I had to clear off my desk completely and decide what I would put back on my desk. And it got me thinking, this is sort of where we're at right now. It's time to clear the desk completely. Our pastoral, our clergy, our chaplain, our church leadership desk. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that we had on our desk that um, has become obsolete. And I think the sense of dislocation, um, anxiety, and I would say even depression that many of us have been experiencing after six weeks of isolation is I think this false illusion that we had that we were going back to normal, that as soon as this is over, we get to go back to the way things were. And I think the realization is finally hit us all that there is no new, there is no normal and there's no such thing as a new normal, that everything is up in the air and how we are going to be is one big um, blank slate. And that's frightening. But there's also a sense of liberation in that and thinking about what we want to choose to put on that desk again. And I'm looking to that now. Wow. Sally? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Eliana's um, kind of personal reflection 
right, got me thinking about the ways that um, we see this time. So if we see this time, for instance, as God's judgment on the earth, uh, then this time may be just simply an opportunity to kind of um, gloat that evil is now being, you know, exacted judgment upon. And it's a time for us to be more holy, right? And so what are we waiting for in that moment? That's a good question, right? What, when, if this is judgment, then what are we waiting for? We're waiting for God to make everything right again or for God to, to be happy again so we can go back to normal. But, but this time, it's, you know, it, we're going to be able to shake our finger in the world's face and say, see, you've got to pay attention to God. But if you see this time maybe as a transformative experience where uh, this is an opportunity for change to happen, for new structures to evolve, for the prophetic imagination to step in, for a pause in a world that is extremely transactional. You know, I, I don't know if anybody else has walked a lot lately, but the air just seems cleaner because less, two million less people are traveling on airplanes. Um, I know there's consequences to that in the airline industry around economies, but the reality is there's less cars, there's less transactions, there's less airplanes in the air, and for me, the air just seems a little cleaner, right? So I know that seems like it could be a small thing, but at the same time, folks who are living downwind from factories, those who are living um, downstream from factories have historically experienced um, a, uh, in, environmental injustices. Those are largely communities of color, and they are experiencing this time in an even different way than some of us are uh, and because their 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 uh, morbidity rates are higher for things like asthma and other things that this COVID-19 just really takes advantage of so the question for me is how do you see this time you know I, I, I um, this was such an odd Easter um, in so many ways um, both Ecclesially, you know, not being able to go to church and take flowers to put on a flowering cross. Um, familially, I know. Have you never done that, Tally? Well, oh, you know, okay. that's um, a new one. Well, yeah, well, I guess it's a thing that people do and we've always done. And, the, and then the family thing, you know, being able to get together with the family and have the big meal and Easter egg hunts and all that. Um, and there was a lot of grief for me in that until... All of a sudden, I, it forced me, I think, to start looking at the Easter story anew and in a different way, um, because so much of it was this sense of I'm, I'm still stuck in this empty tomb. Um, and when I started to look at it a little bit differently, as you're saying, Tally, of reframing it and, and thinking about it differently, all of a sudden, what I kept focusing in on this Easter story was Jesus exited that tomb in a totally different way than he entered it. And we, we entered into a tomb sort of experience in early March. And we're coming out of it totally different. We're coming out, but we're going to be totally different people. And there's grief and loss that come along with that. But there's a sense of transformative experience that we'll, we get to enjoy and that we get to participate in ourselves. Mm. 
So, yeah. so, so let I me think, ask you, let me yeah. ask you something. So what, yeah. what, is, what does it mean to come out? Mm, how mm. would we, how do we think about that? Like that, that really caught my attention when you said, yeah, yeah. you know, when we come out of that. And I don't know if, I, I don't expect if any of us to have an answer other than just like, that's a great question, I think. <laughs> what and I think coming out, out is so different for everybody because, mm. I mean, we know that for some people coming out means being fully themselves, who God created them to be. So what if we were to claim some of that experience of coming out of this tomb as becoming more fully realized as the human beings that God intended us to be, not the mm. ones that went in? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I can hear that, right? I, I, I can hear that. And then, you know, Scott, when, for those, and for those who don't know, Scott likes to hike and walk and stuff like that. And <laughs> things that make me tired, <laughs> things that, that make me tired and want to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> um, he, you have to get out of the house, right? I'm the opposite way. I could just stay in my house all the time. <laughs> so, it's like, I'm, I'm, there's a certain level of comfortability to staying in the tomb, I, I think, for some Christians, right? Because mm. if you ever have to preach Jesus getting up out of the grave, and living a, a kind of a new reality, then there's a liberation and a freedom you have to start talking about. But we don't like liberation gospel. <laughs> but, but Tally, Jesus is not, does not stay in the tomb. You cannot stay in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Right, but, but you know how many churches, right, are staying in the church? Church is not church if it's not inside. So. That's so Tally, you brought up the the walking thing, and and yes, you're you're right. I uh yeah, I did a, a quick ten miles before we hopped on this podcast, as I, uh, I said a little <laughs> a bit quick earlier. Ten miles. Um, you know, but yeah, no, but seriously, I mean, here's the here's the thing for me. I think there there is a real mental uh, anguish that's going on for a lot of uh, well, really for everyone. Everything's changing, and we're not in control. To be honest, uh, we've got some leaders that know what they're doing and some that don't. And so I, I've, I, I've kind of, I've been more sympathetic to the post-resurrection uh, stories than I think I've been uh, before. The bewilderment, the total absolute loss of the crucifixion, the amazement and surprise and the wonder and the worship and the doubt of the disciples for not just a day, but for a, a good while. I think, I think that's kind of where we are as a church, that this is going to take a long while to work out. And so one of the, one of the passages, uh, and Eliana will know that I, we talk about this passage at the Transitional Ministry mm -hmm. Workshops, and the one part that I have glossed over now is hitting me right in, the, in between the eyes. Um, I, you know, the, the two on the road to Emmaus. So I love how Jesus comes alongside these two uh, disciples and asks them of all things, asks them what they're talking about, right? As if he didn't know. Right. Right. And he's really interested in their, uh, what they have to say not what he has to say, what they have to say about this. And they share their thoughts. And I've taught this a hundred times, 
And I have never known what to do with Jesus' rebuke of the disciples, to be honest with you. And I kind of feel like that, I, I'm feeling that rebuke right now. Mm. Like, I, I am feeling that there are things I did not get about the gospel and about the church and about, and about what we are about, what Jesus is about, that this experience is teaching me. He basically said, you know, uh, and then he started to teach them what, what the scriptures meant, right? I think when all is stripped away, that's what we have. We, we, have to, we have to figure out what was the real meaning behind all the things we said were church. And I, I just think that that, for me, is really coming home. And that's kind of heavy and weighty. Um, but I mean, the good news is, you know, the disciples, you know, it says that they're, you know, they enjoyed what he was saying and, um, uh, wanted him to stay. Right. I hope that's, I hope that's us. I mean, I hope that's our church that we're going to let some things get stripped away so that we can actually be more about what God intends for his creation and his people, all of us. And I think there's a lot of things that are going to get sifted you think <laughs> feeling it anyway yeah. i could be wrong right. <laughs> no i mean I, I i so not to i'm not pushing back i just come i'm coming across people who just don't believe that they just don't believe that they're just waiting to go back to normal right right but the the moment in that text where jesus is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he begins to re recount history and the prophetic words that had come in the past and give clarity to them. A lot of, for me, people who want to go back to normal may first need to hear history differently, right? That, uh, for instance, idea that uh, churches were meant to be brick and mortar. We may need to tell a different history so that they understand church is the people. It's, it's not the building. Um, and so if, the, if, the, if we can't manage the building, we're still the church, right? And to go deeper into what the church actually is. So then that would mean, Scott, to your point about things getting sifted, would it be that the sifting is misunderstandings of what the church is. What gets sifted out of that are ways in which we think about church wrongly. That would get sifted out. And then there would be a new idea of what church is that would come out of this moment. You know, I think one of the things that for me, um, Easter brought forward is that point in, the, um, in Jesus's journey when he goes into the temple and, and upbraids it, the Bible says. He turns everything upside down. You know, if you're going to go to the cross and you're going to and you're going to get beaten and mocked and scorned, you, you may not want to go the, to the temple and turn everything upside down. You may just want to kind of go, hey, folks, I'm going to kind of go through some stuff here. So, you know, feel sad for me, right? <laughs> I want you to feel sad for me before I go to the cross. Instead, he makes everyone mad in the temple and turns over everything and the Pharisees and Sadducees are upset. I, I wonder sometimes if that sifting requires a certain 
frustration that comes with what we're experiencing right now, right? And, and we may be praying for the frustration to go away, but we may need the frustration. We may need the irritation to create um, an, uh, an awareness of what's being sifted in our own lives. So what, I'd like to even push that a little further because one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how culturally contextual this experience with COVID has been, um, even though it's a universal experience. And I don't know if this is central to, to us as North Americans living in the U.S., but this, this anxiety that we have around things sifting, um, our reluctance to feel uncomfortable with the unknown, um, to have all of our previous assumptions questioned. Um, I wonder if that is inherent to a first, first world reality versus other developing cultures and nations around the world who have had to go through epidemics and civil wars over and over and have to reinvent and have their realities constantly sifting and adapting and their values being shoved in one direction and, and all that and have to be much more pliable and flexible and resilient. Maybe that's part of our Easter journey um, for us in this part, even though we're experiencing this together universally, maybe our experience as comfortable North Americans is for this discomfort at having our world turn upside down and have to question everything from our theological understandings and biblical interpretations to the comfort of being able just to run down to the store without having to put on a mask and wear gloves. Um, these things that our life has been so easy and predictable and dependable, suddenly all that is called into question. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, good point. Yeah, maybe that's not a bad thing. It's a pain in the neck, but maybe it's not a bad thing. <laughs> right. right, well, I mean, as an African-American man going into a bank with a mask on, hmm, there's mm -hmm. a level, there is a level of uncomfortability, I'm sure, for everyone in the, in the room in some way, both rightly and wrongly, right? Uh, people don't walk in masks with banks. People don't walk in banks with masks. And African-American men know that's not something you can even come close to doing. So that uncomfortability is real. And doesn't that elevate it to, to kind of put a glaring light on, look, this is a reality of what we've been experiencing so. all along and nobody was noticing. Yeah, except I think for so. the black community. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think the, the kind of uncomfortability you're talking about is experienced by a lot of communities of color. Um, I think now it's, 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 like you said, could be experienced more widespreadly, like in a, um, a, a wider spread that folks would experience that kind of uncomfortability. Yeah. So when I think about that in terms of our pastors and leading their congregations, I'm wondering if, if everything is shoved off their desks and they're made to feel uncomfortable and everything is shifting and all their assumptions are being questioned. I wonder if we can see that as this opportunity to create a new sure. way of being. Sure. Everything's, everything's up for grabs. 
how we define community, how we define gathering, how we define church. It's open for us to define it anew, to give it new flesh on those bones. And, you know, when we pastor and we're taught to be pastors, we're, that is the, I call it the vocation of I'm supposed to know, mm-hmm. right? So until we come up with a theology of I don't know and, and how we walk faithfully with the I don't know, you know, everything we're, we, we end up playing, um, playing this game of false faith, I call it, where um, we really are using our faith to cover up the fact that we don't know, right? Like, and instead of just going, you know, I don't, I don't know where we're going with this. And I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work out into the future. Um, kind of a, a really honest confession. Um, instead, we end up playing, let's, let's scour the internet and talk to friends and other pastors and come up with a real good answer so that we know when the truth is, we probably don't. Yeah, and I, I would love to be wrong on that, actually. I would, I would love for someone to email us and go, Tally's so wrong, we know exactly where to go. Like, I would love that. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I was in a denominational meeting earlier today on Zoom as well. And um, I was coming up, uh, trying to devise some logistics for, for an event. And um, I just said, well, we could do, you know, A, B, or C. You know, the bottom line is we're making this up as we go. And I immediately got a couple of texts from people saying, oh my gosh, you're going to get quoted that, you know, you're making this up as you go. And I thought to myself, but we are. We've, sure. never, we've never been church like this in a pandemic. Um, and I think some of the exhaustion, mental and physical, that some of our pastors are experiencing could be attributed, some of it could be attributed to this self-imposed and culturally exposed um, pressure on you got to get it right. You better know what you're doing. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing the best that we can. Our pastors are doing the best that they can with with the gifts that they have and the abilities that they have. And are they going to get it right? Probably 50% of the time. Um, But let's be honest with ourselves and give ourselves the grace to recognize that we are making this up as we go. And we're just trying to be faithful, not to a structure, not to a system, not to history, but to God. Amen on that one. So we are at... um... We're at the first first week, Sunday after Easter, and most most pastors are probably trying to figure out who can preach on on this coming Sunday. I I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. I'm also thinking to myself that um, this is going to go on for quite some time, and I'm wondering. We are, we are doing our best, but I, I fear that for some of us, our, our best is going to be uh, burnout in about three weeks. Because we're still trying to hold up some expectations, even, even in COVID, right? I, I, I wonder if there are, um, how do we recalibrate? You know, all the, all, the, all the things that we've talked about now, about, you know, kind of reinterpreting, how do we do that? Sunday comes, right? I, I learned that early on when I uh, was in a preaching class and uh, I didn't have a sermon ready on, uh, 
Saturday, but Sunday came and uh, I had to have some. I think our pastors are under a lot of pressure to, to put something together and even figure out what a new normal is for a time. But I, I'm just, I'm, how do we both do the reinterpreting and meeting some expectation on a Sunday? That's all, that's all, and clear the desk. And be attentive, Ali. <laughs> and be attentive to what God's saying in the midst of this. How in the heck do we do that? Uh, I just censored myself. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I'm going to say something that is probably counterculture to to what most pastors are used to. Even even my good friend and pastor Lena Thompson. <laughs> Uh, who likes to check boxes and get things done. Is it possible that, and I, I'll, I'll pose it as a question, is it possible that the most productive space is the kind of space that is not trying to get all of those things done, that allows for certain things to fall through the, the cracks, that is okay with this, these moments of what we would call unproductivity, and that may be somewhere in the midst of that, God speaks, right? I am very aware because my seminary professor put it in me that John on the Isle of Patmos, one of the greatest revelations in the scripture is done in isolation. He is isolated when he hears from God. And I think there is some wisdom to not rushing back to fill the space and to come up and having this idea of, I have to be productive. Yes. Right. I think there's some wisdom to going, hmm, maybe I need to pick up that book on solitude by Henry Nouwen, right? Or several others who have written about solitude, right? Richard Rohr or others who talk about meditation and solitude. Maybe this is that space. So I'm, I'll say that admittedly counterculturally, right? That's just not the way we're trained. Sally, you were just making a case for hiking. <laughs> The solitude of the wilderness. Anyway, go ahead. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I, I think Tally's onto something. And, and when you say it's countercultural, everything's countercultural now because we're in uncharted territory. So um, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Tally. And I'll go one step further in, in saying that. I think we need to be asking ourselves, what is it that people are longing for right now? And even in the midst of social isolation, it's presence. And we can do presence without doing production and performance. And presence can be something simply just calling someone on the telephone. In some ways, I almost feel like we're, we're peeling back all these layers of what we superimposed on ourselves as pastors to be effective, you know, church leaders and, you know, purpose-driven and all that kind of stuff to some bare bones of just being accompaniers of other human beings in life. And that calls us sometimes into times of prayer, sometimes in times of lament, of solitude, but it's the gift of presence that we give one another. And so whatever the worship service looks like, whatever other programs or, or productions that we can come up with, that's icing 
but the meat and potatoes of our, or for vegetarians, the tofu and potatoes of our faith, of our relationship with, with Christ has got to be that picture of Christ coming up to those disciples that are already on this road and walking alongside them and engaging them in conversation. No fanfare, no planning, no production, just accompaniment. I'm blessed to be on this journey with both of you. And um, I know that the challenge for us in Seattle Presbytery and also um, uh, for many of our pastors <laughs> across the country is to be able to uh, set aside some space or just allow that space to be, allow God to recalibrate us um, as a people um, and allow us to see our ministries and our communities in new ways and to build those into the structures as we slowly, I think very slowly, return to some new routines, I guess, and practices. Um, is my hope. Any, any last uh, or parting, uh, parting shots? I think the only thing that I would emphasize is that, um, as I've said before, we're, we're in a marathon. And not only is this a marathon, but it's a walking marathon. There's no rush. Um, there's no, um, no one's timing us. Um, so part of this is also how we are on the journey. Um, because we have no idea what the destination is and when we're going to get there. It could be, you know, in the fall, it could be in 18 months. We could be establishing a new normal. Um, so I think that the journey in and of itself is what is going to be the most significant and what we will remember um, that we did and that we acted on. Yeah, yeah, I, I second that. And I, I think the, to, to, if I could kind of just personalize it, um, there are so many ways that I think personally normal is so good for me and I love I love what was I, in many ways I hope everything we talked about is just dead wrong <laughs> that's I think that's it the way it doesn't it, we we kind of that perspective means I don't have to rely on God that perspective means I, I know what I know and I'm, I'm good with that Right. And so moving into the I don't know what I don't know space that we're in, I do have to lead with trust and I do have to lead with faith. And those can be scary words. Amen. Thank you both for taking some time on this uh, sunny Thursday. That, thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Good to be with you. Yeah. Thank you. Blessings. Likewise.